0: Hello my podcasting fam. Welcome back to another amazing episode. But actually this one, like legit, it's the potato museum. Like what? A a museum literally entirely about potatoes. It is as awesome as it sounds. I kind of feel like this podcast is the best way possible to track my movements as an individual because you can always tell whenever I go out of town and visit somewhere because I do a podcast episode at a museum nearby. So obviously I was in Idaho a little while ago. And um, yeah, this museum was just so much fun. It's this small museum kind of packed with all this amazing potato memorabilia. And um, my all-time favorite thing was the Peruvian potato god. Yeah, that's a worshipable thing. And I got a little pin of it. And um, I'm just really excited to share this episode with you guys. There's a lot of really fun stuff in it. Um, I have about three listeners who, no matter what, every first and third Tuesday download my my podcast and i see you and i appreciate the heck out of you i don't know exactly who it is because it doesn't you know obviously i'm not a creep that's tracking everyone but there's always these three podcaster listeners who download my show and i just wanted to give you a little shout out because it really means so much to me and your dedication does not go unnoticed and it really kind of gives me like honestly inspiration to keep making sure that I get these out on time and it's really really just awesome for me to know that you know people are listening to my podcast and that you guys are enjoying the content and hopefully that it's encouraging people to give support to their local museums um but anyway you guys are awesome and everybody else who's listening to my podcast just thanks for tuning in man it means a ton All right, enough gushy stuff. You can check out this episode. I always post on my website, curatorschoicepodcast.com. And it's kind of a blog format. You can go in and you can click on this episode and it shows pictures that I took from the episode so that way you can kind of get a little bit more of an immersive experience. And you can always go check me out on, I have a Facebook page for Curators Choice and I also have an Instagram And I always try to post different things on the Instagram and the Facebook, so that way it's not like the same thing. So if you do follow both, you'll get different kinds of things in there as well. All right, I think that's all that I have for you guys. Uh, Enjoy the episode.
1: All right, well, uh, welcome everybody. So today we're going to be doing an interview with, is it Tish Dahman? Yes. At the Idaho Potato Museum. I know what you're all thinking, crazy, but it's probably my favorite museum that I have actually ever been to. I loved every single second of it. I mean that genuinely.
2: (laughs) What a great thing to say. Thank you so much for that wonderful, wonderful, uh, those accolades. I so appreciate that. It is fun. It's so much fun.
1: And so this is the first time we're recording a Zoom, that I'm recording Zoom for the podcast. So uh, it might be a little bit not spectacular on my part sometimes, but we'll make it work. Uh, So maybe we could just start things out by just kind of talking about how does one run and start up a potato museum? It's so unique.
2: I am lucky enough to be the executive director of the Idaho Potato Museum. The way that it was founded was there were some uh, local people who felt that because Because Bingham County, which the city that um, Potato Museum is in is Blackfoot, and Blackfoot is the county seat of Bingham County. And Bingham County raises and produces more potatoes than any other county in the United States. So Blackfoot is called the potato capital of the world, as there are a lot of potatoes that are produced in this county. So this, this group of people they had been talking back and forth for several years about, wow, we really should do something. We should make this, we should do something about our name. We are the potato capital of the world. So let's, let's do something about it. And it came about an idea of having a museum about potatoes. Well, the majority of the people who live in Blackfoot or who had something to say about the idea thought it was pretty silly. They thought nobody would come to see a museum about potatoes. A bunch of naysayers. Yeah. Fortunately, well, I think that's really typical about any area, or people just don't really think that they are interesting, that they're the same, that their life or their their world is is the same as anybody else's, and they're not interesting. When in fact, there are so many different factors about your culture your, your small or your region that, that make you stand out from other areas. And something that is really cool too
1: is the fact that culturally, Idaho potatoes are such a big deal in Idaho. But I mean, everybody knows about potatoes. Everybody loves potatoes. There's a million different ways to cook potatoes. Potatoes are important to almost everyone.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the fifth most important food crop out there.
1: So potatoes originally, where did they originate? Because I know that everyone, that even that I've talked to after bringing up the potato museum, they were like, oh, Ireland. The Irish were the ones who built the potato.
2: How can they not come from Ireland, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they come from Peru. They come from the um, Andes Mountains in South America. And they they are part of the nightshade family, so they are poisonous. oh wow i didn't know that at all i know and you can tomatoes are part of the nightshade family so are petunias but you can take a tomato plant and you can graft it on top of a potato plant and you can get a tomato you can grow tomatoes on the top and potatoes on the bottom potatoes are like amazing all
1: those (laughs) horticulturalists out there do it (laughs) i think i'm gonna have to try that this spring
2: it is the best and you can actually buy that plant Plant. It's a little expensive, it's about $24, but you can buy it online and it, it's called a Pomato. Isn't that the best?
1: That's, that's really cool. So you, they're part of the nightshade family. We know that nightshade's is toxic. So is it just like the the green parts, the, the upper part of the plant is toxic?
2: Well, originally I think the entire plant was, um, like when, when we go all the way back to its origins, the, the entire plant I think was um, somewhat toxic. Not toxic enough to to actually kill you. At least the tubers were, you know, because the potato is a tuber. So that part wasn't as toxic. But what the um, from my from my reading and from what I understand is that um, the people who were uh, looking at potatoes as a food source saw the llamas lick play and as they would lick the clay and then they would eat the tubers. And so that kind of gave them an idea of how they would, how they could eat those. And then eventually they just breed, they just spread the, um, the toxins out of the, of the tuber part. And so right now with the potato plant, it's the seed pods and the leaves that are, are toxic, but not the potatoes.
1: And honestly, probably my favorite thing that I saw at the museum was right at the beginning when you walk into the exhibit and it's telling you, you know, where potatoes came from and kind of examples of the area. They had The Inca had a p- potato
2: god. Yes, it is so cute. And um, it is, uh, the, the story that goes with that uh, potato god is that um, it is the way that they would deal with their enemies is that they would invite them to dinner and serve them potatoes, which are poisonous, which would make their enemies sick.
1: That was pretty clever. (laughs) I mean, it's wrong, but,
2: you know, but, but, but I mean, if it's a, it's your enemy, if it's a mortal enemy, then definitely. I I, I mean, if your safety was, if your safety of your community was, was at risk, well then, yeah, you could see something.
1: Call upon Uh, the potato God. Yeah. So, we know now, many people probably didn't, but now we know that the potato actually came from Peru. So, what was kind of the path for it to become this
2: global crop? I think that once it hit, it it went to Europe and then to China, eventually, I think in the 1700s, it made it to, no, the late 1600s, it even made it to the United States.
1: And that's one of the cool things about actually going to the museum is you guys have a nice kind of mural that shows like the different timelines and the different arrows. Because, I mean, once it started to kind of spread, it really spread everywhere.
2: Right. But, it, but I think it was it's interesting to know that it, it didn't really spread as a food. It wasn't accepted as a food source immediately. It took about 150 years for it to um, for Europe to truly adopt it as a food source. It was during the reign of um, uh, Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette. They, she used to wear the potato flowers in her hair. I mean, they would do all these different, almost like public service announcements. Exa- yeah, yeah, that's exactly right—a public service announcement. They, they had all these PR events to um, to make the the potato more palatable to the. Cause it's just like. Because it was in the nightshade family, and if you remember back in the day, pewter and tomatoes—they did not mix, and they could. But people didn't understand the chemistry between the two of them, and they would—they um, would make it would make people ill. So they, really? uh, yeah. So so it just it just took a little bit of time for um, the Europeans to understand the potato as a food source and then how good it was. And also, it, it was a, the most important thing that it was able to put, be able to put all of your property into production, so you could grow wheat and potatoes at the same time, and then the next year you would just switch over because the, because all of your diseases or the nutrients that it, it, it your wheat takes from the soil and all of the diseases that feed off the wheat, wheat do not feed off of the potatoes. And so when you switch them, you don't have to let your property rest. And then if you had a terrible storm that came through, which destroyed your wheat crop, you would still have your potato crop. Yeah, so you could make it. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think what happened was um, potato as a food crop became so successful that that it seems to me that they, they stopped farming. They stopped using the other crops, like in Ireland, and that's why Ireland at the time of the potato, great potato famine, what's that, 1859, 69, 59, I think so. That's when they were growing potatoes and not anything else.
1: So basically they were just monocropping, which is exactly. the easiest way to get a crop decimating blight or insect or yeah. parasite.
2: Yeah, just destroyed everything. So, I mean, two million, one, uh, According to records, a million people perished, and another million people in Ireland left Ireland. They, you know, and they came to the United States. Great for the United States, of course, but um, not so great for Ireland.
1: And it's kind of a side note where I'm just going to brag a little bit here. I tend to do that because it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Uh, (laughs) But I actually visited Ireland a few years ago. And what was really amazing is we went to some cemeteries where they were. From the 1800s, and they had plots from um, potato famine victims. Yeah. It was it was so intense. It was really crazy. Oh, yeah, so horrible. Do you know what exactly blight is? Is it it's a bacteria in the soil? So yeah, so it's a fungal fungal infection.
2: Okay, but uh, Brittany read that it can destroy your entire crop within ten days. Oh. So- is so mm-hmm. fast that thing spreads yeah, and it's the spores that move on the wind wow so we've learned
1: you know in the past unfortunately there are still uh it's still a common practice now but having just one type of crop growing in one area can be really detrimental because you get things like life mm-hmm. but kind of on the opposite side of that we're pretty lucky because it seems like there are a ton of different kinds of species of potatoes yes yeah do you know what kind of potatoes do we have? I know that there, I mean, you go to the grocery store, sometimes you see red potatoes, yellow potatoes, and then Idaho russet potatoes.
2: Well, is there anything else but Idaho russet potatoes?
1: I know I'm creative, I'm oh, sacrilegious I mean, right now even asking.
2: <laughs> oh, definitely. And there, and there are a variety of there are different varieties of russets. Um, there's your ranger russet, there's your nocordo russet, um, and there's your Burbank russet. So even within that family, you have uh, different types, like for instance, the Ranger grows not uh, grows beautiful and long, and that's preferred for French fries because it makes nice long French fries. Right? I didn't uh, know
1: there were different kinds of russet potatoes even.
2: Yeah, and they but they're it's just but the russet is a great potato because of its white meat. It's fluffy. It it bakes well and it it boils well. It just holds together really well. It has a great flavor, but. um, Your reds and your whites, and now there's the purples. I mean, all of those are just—they're all yummy. I mean, there isn't a potato that isn't tasty, right?
1: You couldn't serve me a potato I didn't like. (laughs) And
2: they're they're, just—they're—and there's—they're so much. They're so fun. They're so versatile. Here at the Potato Museum, we use them in a variety of ways. So we have our little cafe, and we um, don't—we don't do all this ourselves, of course, because we're—we're small. But we do the bakers and, and we and we make the French fries. But you know, we have a sweet little lady at work, um, not too far away from us, uh, who has a little business called Pastry Cakes, and she makes our um, potato cupcakes. We just do chocolate and vanilla right now, but I mean you can do any other flavor you wanted. But that's what we do there. And then there's a, a company called um, Reed Dairy. And we get their chocolate milk, and they put potato flakes in their chocolate milk to make it rich and creamy. And let me tell you, that is like Nirvana in a bottle. <laughs> also, another company that's called, um, oh, Fars, Fars Ice Cream. And they're out of Idle Falls, and they put potato products in their ice cream. And it does make a difference. It makes it a really rich, creamy ice cream because, you know, it's your potato starch. makes things nice, rich, and creamy like if you really make your gravy at home.
1: So while I was visiting the museum, I actually had some of the potato ice cream and it was the moose tracks and it was so thick and so creamy. And yeah. it, you might think it tastes like potatoes. It doesn't. It just tastes like a really creamy, rich ice cream. It was delicious. So I suggest if you go to the museum, you have to at least try some potato ice cream.
2: It is It is really good. And in the summertime we have, um, we do a, potato candy as well, and Weezer candy candy over in Weezer, it's it's just a little uh, close to Boise, they make our candy for us, and it's amazing, it's a really old, old old-fashioned recipe, and they have resurrected it just for us, so that we can, it's kind of like an Almond Joy, mm, sort of, it's really good, really sweet.
1: Well, and that's one of the things that I was most impressed by your museum is because it is a small museum. And I mean, you have this one topic really that you focus on, but you guys have packed so much into that museum. And, you know, you kind of walk through the timeline and then you reach an area and you guys even have a little like spud movie theater where you could go in and watch different videos. And then you have a virtual reality little headset that you put on and you're like the good old Farmer John driving around, collecting potatoes, you know, harvesting potatoes. And then you guys have a little bin for kids or adults, let's be honest. I might have built some potatoes. But you have the Mr. Potato Head where it's all the different kinds and you can build any kind of variation that you want. And then you have the racetrack for the spuds that you make. And, I mean, you guys have just packed so much into your museum. It's incredible.
2: Thank you very much. It's a really small space and we are space challenged. Um, and we do have, um, we have uh, farm implements on the exterior of the building. So people can go around and they can take a look at what the, you know, the, the vintage, um, the farm machinery, the the different potato machinery look like, like the planters and the diggers and things like that. So they, so they can kind of get that hands on and they kind of know what it would have been like to have been out in the field. And that is really hard, hard work. And fortunately, um, just after World War II, a lot of wonderful uh, innovations were made in the potato industry, and I think in farming and agriculture in general. So we had a couple of really great innovations that happened right here in Blackfoot and in in this county that totally changed the potato industry. One of them was uh, the Spudnik scooper, and that was created by uh, or invented by two young men who were spending their day shoveling potatoes in and out of cellars, and they just took existing technology, which was a conveyor belt, and adapted it so that they would, instead of shoveling potatoes from the truck to the cellar, they would then be able to just convey those um, potatoes from the truck into the cellar. It made a huge difference, but not just in, labor and, and of course what it did to your back, but what it, but what it, but in handling the potato itself, I mean, it was less bruised. It was just a way better um, situation altogether. And now Spudnik, of course is a, um, is a worldwide industry and it's still in Blackfoot. That's really, that's cool. Yes, it was
1: originated in Blackfoot by two men who were working in Blackfoot. Yeah. And completely revolutionized, honestly, revolutionized the potato growing world.
2: Mm-hmm. And then um, we had another gentleman named Miles Mervin, and he he created a potato seed cutting machine, which was amazing because his machine would cut um, would cut like 30 bags of potato seed within an hour when it took a family or a, or a whole crew of men. Cutting potatoes all day to get 30 bags of potato seed in a day, so that that alone increased the number of acres that you could plant. So some really amazing things happened, just came right out of this county.
1: So when you say um, cutting potato seed, I know for anyone who's seen Martian, obviously, when you say cutting potato seed, that's just where you cut a, a potato that has the little eyes, I guess, and then you can replant that. Is that how that works? That's right. And so, are, does the potato plant actually produce seeds, or is all potatoes produced basically by growing cut of potatoes?
2: No, yeah, a potato plant produces seeds. There's a little seed pod, but the seeds are really, really little. And we do have um, seed farms, potato seed farms, but they 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 keep themselves somewhat isolated. They're located more up toward the north, and they stay a little bit isolated because you don't want any cross-pollination going on while they're developing different uh, seed varieties.
1: Oh, so really doing the actual potato seed is mostly only done whenever you're trying to like hybridize or create, you know, more genetically diverse or specific versus if you're trying to grow crops, then you would do the seeding because it just sounds like honestly it's a lot easier and faster.
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: Okay. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. One thing that I did want to uh, make sure that we don't leave out the Sputnik Scooper that was named after something pretty special.
2: Very special, right? The Sputnik Scooper was um, created in 1958 and in 1957, I believe it's when Sputnik satellite took to the skies and it revolutionized, rev- it was re- it revolutionized, it started the space age. So did. So we feel like, I guess, Leo and um, Carl Hobbs, the inventors of the, of the potato scooper, felt like the Spud Nick would, and it did, it, revolutionize the potato industry. So I think that was pretty appropriate. Super
1: appropriate. And you guys have one at your museum, but you have converted it a little into a racetrack for potatoes, right?
2: For the Mr. Potato Head racetrack, yes. Yeah.
1: And one thing that I also didn't really know about the Mr. Potato Head really was that when it was originally designed, you said that it was mostly just the pieces that kind
2: of plug in, like the ear pieces and nose pieces. Right. Yeah, the Mr. Potato Head has a great history. And um, but when it was when it first came out. It was just pieces, and then you you provided your own potato or your own parsnip or or carrot, and then you just put the pieces in the vegetable, and then you would that then that would be your toy. It's great. I have one of those.
1: When did when did Mr. Potato Head like when did that become a thing? It's so iconic. It seems like it's always been around. But what was do you know kind of the story of coming about of Mr. Potato Head?
2: that what 1952 it was invented and it was the it's the first it's it was the first toy that was advertised on television yeah that's, that's cool and i mean you consider it i mean it's what it's uh, 75 70 years old 75 years old as a toy i mean and still going strong
1: yeah and everybody every kid wants a mr potato Head. i i had some
2: I, and my my grandkids still love them that's so
1: great. We've kind of touched on like a few fun items that you guys have at the museum, but we really wanted to talk about um, a few particular other items. So this is me super smoothly transitioning the podcast interviewer than I am. So why don't we start with one of those stories? And when I came in, you kind of talked to me a little bit about um, a potato
2: war. Right, oh, the famous potato war. I started researching these, uh, I wanted to do the postcards during World War II because I, I'm old enough to remember these great old postcards about, um, about the soldiers having to peel potatoes all the time. And I thought, well, I'm gonna start looking around to see if I can't find some. And so I did, and I was able to pick some up. But then I heard about this great battle and I thought, wow, what a great way to connect the postcards with this story about potatoes. And um, there was a battle that happened in the Solomon Islands in 1948. It was with the, um, it was the it was the O'Bannon destroyer. That was the name of the, the ship. What happened is that there was a great mist and it was early, early in the morning, and as the mist cleared, the crew of the O'Bannon saw that there was a enemy Japanese submarine just just right off of their, just really close by. A stone and,
1: throw or a potatoes
2: throw away, stone throw away, right? And um, they uh, they were sleeping. There, the submarine crew was sleeping on deck or at least a portion of them well in order to to get far enough away to um to make it to make a weapon strike they they needed a little bit of time to back away and so they grabbed what they had which were potatoes and they lobbed potatoes at this japanese submarine crew. Well, just waking up, the Japanese, the, the poor fellows, they didn't know what what was coming at them. They just, but they made a horrible thud when they hit the, when they hit the submarine. And so they thought they, the, the crew of the uh, destroyer was lobbing grenades at them. But it gave them just, it gave um, the O'Bannon crew just enough time to get away, to just back enough away to ram the submarine and then to sink them with uh, some depth charges but that's an actual story. That is
1: crazy. A potato war, who knew? I didn't. I know. <laughs> Potatoes are fabulous. Everything from vodka to french fries, right? They're, they're so important. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, I, I remember walking around through the museum as well, and there was a dried up whole potato that had a signature on it. And I remember kind of reading about that one and thinking like this poor guy. <laughs>
2: i know it. how can you i mean all your life you spend trying to become a great political figure you reached your pinnacle as the vice president of the united states and you are remembered for misspelling potato right
1: poor quail Quail. yes quail quail.
2: right dan quail yes poor man um he was at a um he was at a spelling bee and a child got up to spell potato p O T A T O, and Dan Quell said, no, that's incorrect. There's an E at the end. But that is not right. And so we do have a potato that two distroffies in California requested Dan Quell sign, and he did. And then it was donated to the Potato Museum. So we were lucky we have a signature on a potato.
1: And I think that this was really unfortunate as well because I remember you saying at that time he was kind of you know, he kind of had the social media against him a little bit, you know, calling him dumb and stupid, right. you know, I mean, everybody has those sides, but he was getting it pretty harsh. And then this poor guy was just reading from a prompter and ended up sealing his own fate. And I mean, it just seemed like that he just got ravaged.
2: Bad luck,
1: right? So bad luck. I mean, oh, <laughs> oh but man. So you guys have that there. And the, the radio guys that gave it to him to sign, was it like a joke? Were they like, oh, haha, ha, you you messed this up. Will you sign our potato?
2: No, I think it was just a joke. But, but through it all, Dan Quill, I believe that he showed true grace and sportsmanship. Um, you know, he he was able to take a joke, right?
1: I mean, yeah, and you guys have a letter there that kind of talks a little bit about what he says and he addresses it and yep. and to sign the potato at all, instead of just hooking the potato back at him. I mean, he clearly had at least a
2: good sense of humor. Yeah. You believe he signed it with the E at the
1: end. <laughs> yeah, he was a really good sport. Yeah, he was, and it's this worked out really perfect because um, my uh, boyfriend was watching the inauguration and he mentioned something and he was like, oh, I, I had to look up who this person was. I didn't even know who this vice president was. It was Quayle. And I was like, you will not believe what I just learned about this man. <laughs> really? so it, was, it was kind of fun to pull it together in real life, you know? There, So there were two things that I did want to touch on briefly just because I found them really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you first walk in, there's a picture of Marilyn Monroe wearing a potato sack. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's some kind of PR campaign
2: well I, originally it wasn't so what happened is that she attended um, a, when she was just a starlet she attended a Hollywood party I'm assuming it was a red dress and that's what the write-ups uh, indicate and there are two stories one of them is that a male reporter said oh, she was so gorgeous that she could she would make a potato sax. Looked beautiful, and the other one was a woman reporter was really catty and said she j- and said Marilyn just looked um and she that she looked uh, pretty slutty right yeah and then a male reporter came back and said she was so beautiful that she would make a potato sack right looked beautiful and so her publicist got a hold of it she. She posed in the potato sack. Earl is the was the photographer. And if you Google Marilyn Monroe potato sack, all of those photos will come up. And she is. She's beautiful. She makes it look great. She rocks it totally. Way to,
1: to stick it to them. Stick it to the caddy people.
2: <laughs> to defend yourself like that. Because, I mean, and she could. She could do whatever. And I, I feel, uh, you know, after all these years and since her passing, that we really still exploit her. But I. There's, she has a mystique about her that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful in a potato sack or on the movie screen, right? She's just great. She is timeless. Definitely.
1: And I did mention earlier your, uh, your potato little theater, you know, the movie theater oh, that yeah. you guys have in there. And I did sit in there and watch a few. And one that I, I don't know if this was the appropriate response, but it had me laughing my butt off. And it was the Idaho Potato Field Force. And I have their comment, I <laughs> so funny and cute. And I just would feel it'd be a great disservice to not at least touch on that during this podcast episode.
2: So the Field Force are our actual people and the Idaho Potato Commission, and we have got to acknowledge what a great job they do in promoting Idaho potatoes. I mean, everybody associates Idaho with potatoes and that's because of the Idaho Potato Commission and they have been actively um, promoting potatoes since 1937. So what they did, and I'm not sure who had the idea or the field force, but their field force are gentlemen are the sales representatives of the Idaho Potato Commission who go out and find and sell great big batches of potatoes like to um, grocery store chains and um, uh, restaurant chains and so that they they sell those contracts and I just think it was amazing whoever came up with the whole idea of field force it's great
1: well, and it's adorable. I mean, you look through it, and basically, it's just it's these four guys turned into superheroes. They're potato superheroes. They have all these superpowers, and they just basically go around like talking mad potato, you know, and like looking through this this cartoon that I have right here. They help a. You can always count on Kent to rise to the occasion. I could give your sales a lift too and it's where he's in the plane and he's like carrying the plane and i mean i don't know it's it's just a really cute way to kind of
2: him
1: in. yeah they tied him in they made him look awesome and they're over here just like helping the potatoes
2: and they're real guys it's awesome. so
1: cute they have yeah. these comic books and then they also made little like cartoons i guess right so that that is just so fun, and I love it. And also in in this one um, comic that I have, there's this one scene where um, they they show up at a a, sh- a regional show in a retail store, and there's a group of women. They go, "Wow, the legendary fearless field for field force! Let's go get a photo." And they they walk away and just have kisses all over their face because they're like these potato superheroes, and I just love it so much. Well. Thank you so much for, uh, first of all, having an amazing museum to visit, truly the highlight of museums for me. And thank you so much for being willing to do this interview with me and, and talk on the show.
2: I appreciate you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing us to the notice of your your listeners and um doing an awesome job. Thank you very,
0: very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.